52 yards should be just a nice, comfortable nine iron for him. They're going to go nuts when he hits this thing. <laughs> Yo, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of the internet, welcome into Preferred Lines for a grand finale of a long, strenuous, exciting, exhilarating, tasking 2022-2023 PGA Tour season. My name is Joe Idoni at Tour Picks on Twitter is the number one spot to find me and all of my content. You have stumbled yourself upon a golf gambling podcast. We are going to touch base and talk about the odds this week for, for East Lake. It is one of the stranger uh, betting weeks of the year, but we're still going to talk about it. We're going to recap what was an extremely exciting finish to the BMW Championship that I can't wait to talk to our guests about. Talk a little bit of Ryder Cup. We're going to do all that brought to you by our friends at Fantasy Golf Pod. Make sure to give them a follow. Make sure to check out all their great content and support people in the space doing good things, consistently good things, um, people that you like to follow. This is a big week for, for anyone who creates golf content. It's sort of the last hurrah of the season. And then, you know, a lot of us will continue to grind this stuff out through the fall where the numbers will drop off precipitously and NFL starts to take steam um as it should but but it's an exciting time to sort of wrap up the year in like one of our bigger weeks so if you could support share with a friend retweet something on that you see on twitter any of that helps to bring ourselves to a greater and grander audience uh speaking of audience what's up brett i am happy that you are here with us tonight uh, he loves the intro so i'm gonna tweak it a little bit this off season i've got some changes in the works but i'm happy that you like it uh, William is here for Killer Keith. Let's bring him right on. Welcoming back to Preferred Lines for his third or fourth time, a recurring guest, a great human, a great friend, a champion of the Run Good Fantasy League. Welcome back to the show, Keith Stewart. What's up, dude? You know, Joe, um, I wore this shirt just for you, my friend. The Four yeah, Horsemen. I see it. Dominant performance by the Four Horsemen. Uh, we were talking about it before we went hot. One of... I would still say probably one of the the highlights of my year and anything that I've ever done sort of golf content related wise was when we all went out to Las Vegas, we drafted teams season long. It was intense. The group thread was heating up throughout. Um, you were victorious this weekend over over Jason Sobel in the championship. Matthew Fitzpatrick shouldered some load that you probably didn't see him coming into this week. You were fortunately helped by the one player in the field that decided to withdraw on your opponent's team. But all in all, a great win, a great season, and congrats to you, my friend. Hey, I'm with you. That trip out to Vegas back in January was a highlight of my year. There's no doubt about it. Sitting with Rick and, and everyone and drafting the teams, um, I'm sure everyone that watched that was like, man, I want to do that and I got to do it. So for sure, it's the highlight of my year. No doubt. Yeah, it was so much fun, man. The highlight of the BMW championship was obviously Sunday, right? It came absolutely down to the wire. The back nine was epic from Victor Hovland. I think Rick himself had the tweet where he gained more strokes on approach on his back nine than he had in all but except for like five 
complete rounds of his career. So it was the best singular performance over nine holes that we've seen from Victor Hovland is maybe the best nine hole performance that we've potentially saw all season long. Um, that is a golf course that plays significantly easier this time around, but it's not a golf course that you just run through the back nine and shoot like a 29, like Victor Hovland did. Um, what were your takeaways from that? How impressed did you leave Chicago this weekend with Victor Hovland? Well, I'll tell you, when I left Mirfield Village, I was super impressed with Victor Hovland. I mean, he took that next step in his career, and I don't mean to bring that up. I just thought about it in my head, who he beat in the playoff. But, yeah. man, he blew me away on Sunday at the BMW, Joey. He blew me away. And, and he blew everybody away, including Scotty Scheffler. I mean, even Scheffler was feeling the heat. You could tell. Uh, when he comes up 17-T, and, you know, we always think back to that ROM putt. There was a triple-decker condominium building back there that BMW built, right? And the, yeah. the 18th green is right to your left when you tee off there. So Victor's up there, and he's he's on the green, and, and Scotty knows what's happening, right? And he's right next to him teeing off, and the place is going nuts. I mean, it was just so impressive to see Victor do his thing. And, um, man, oh, man. I mean, I, like I said, I thought he was impressive at the Memorial, and Victor just blew us all away because the easy nine – was the front nine by far yeah. all week. It was gettable, those first four or five holes. You could get after and make some birdies. And what he did to that back nine, one four on the scorecard, 11 threes overall, no fives on your scorecard. I mean, when you play professional golf, you know, your coach would always say, just put as many threes on the card as you can and you'll be happy, right? Guy did it. Unbelievable. Yeah, speaking of tweets from Rick, I wanted to bring this up and talk about the next player that I wanted to ask you about, um, and it's Scotty Scheffler. So he put this out there today in terms of players who have gained 50 strokes tee to green in a single season. There's 31 players who have done it ever. Only three have gained 100 plus, um, and Scotty Scheffler is the only one at plus 125, and he's two, 214 strokes gained tee to green this season, but you see the putting numbers. You saw it let him down you know, on, on Sunday, you saw him not be able to make a short one on 16. You can see it really eating at a player. And have you ever been around or, or sort of as someone who was close to the course, an athlete that is this dominant in almost every aspect of the game, but just continuing to play at such a baseline below the rest of the field in putting specifically. And it being, yielding these terrible results for him which ultimately are ending up second places but in his mind he should be cleaning up these tournaments right oh he should be totally cleaning them up there's no way when he went on that seven tournament run and he had all top fives you know i went and i i did some digging with tiger woods because i was like well you know i remember a bunch of long tiger runs tiger did seven straight top fives three times in his career and during those streaks, he won twice, he won three times, and he won six times. Of course, he also did eight in a row, of which he won six times. And then he did 11 in a row, of which he won eight times. You know, I mean, you got to close the deal. Rob, you know, Rom's up player of the year. He's got four wins in a major, unless, like, let's say, I, I mean, I don't know who could who could get him. Maybe if, if Wyndham Clark wins this week or something like that, you know, a couple wins in a major, uh, it's – how does Scotty's not player of the year just blows my mind. Yeah, it's unbelievable. We'll see if he's able to do it this week. We'll get into that in a moment. You know, he obviously has the the huge advantage with the starting strokes coming into the tour championship. But 
broader picture stuff, right? It was a wild season, Keith. We had the news of sort of the merger. And I wonder, like as someone, and I often talk about this, and I've told you this as, as well, that I think you were one of, if not the hardest working person doing golf content right now. You're basically living out of that backpack that I see behind you there. And you're at each tournament every week on the grounds early in the week throughout the weekend you cover this as extensively as i think anybody in the industry and just being on site like what have you heard what is the general consensus from players from other people in the media on where things currently stand with this merger are we likely and my real question is what's the likelihood we see players from live compete in pga tour tournaments next season or potentially compete in like a tour championship type format Oh, wow. I mean, um, the best I can tell you is that they just really don't know because the the merger's not there yet. The merger, uh, crossing the T's, dotting the I's is definitely not there yet. Um, the one thing that gives me pause that there will be live, there'll, there'll be some sort of a mixture next year is that live doesn't have a schedule yet, hasn't even talked about a schedule yet. Um, so, so that gives me a, a little bit of hope that we're going to have more crossover than just the four majors. But, um, I mean, Liv's not very prepared to begin with. I mean, the fact that they don't have another tournament before the Ryder Cup where they could have put Bryson and Brooks up there and put them on display before Zach had to make his picks, or the fact that they they scheduled one in Chicago the week before those guys need to be in Rome. Um, so it, it's, I can tell you this much. They really don't know out there. When, when, they, when it comes across like no one knows what's going on, they really don't know what's going on. Um, yeah. The one thing I can tell you is come early January – I'll be down there with you and we will be watching Tiger Arena Golf, uh, which I think will be awesome. But as far as the two tours coming together, there being an elite tour um, from Jay on down. I mean, I see I see the same people every week out here from PGA Tour comms and it's just business as usual. You saw the 24 schedule and that's what we're going to do. And, and who plays in it is slightly up in the air, but I don't think it's as up in the air as you and I would want it to be. Yeah, to be honest with you, what it kind of feels like to me, and I sense this on a very minor microscopic level, right? And it's just, you have to feel it in a sense every week. It's like, okay, a tournament wraps up on Sunday. Where's my next plane ticket? Where's my next tournament? Where's my next course preview coming from? Let me start to pull together data. And everything is so jammed together. You really have no time to just sit and like, assess and think about things like how am I going to make this show better how am I going to make this show appear visually better to to some people in my audience next season how am I going to reach more people how am I going to try to attract a sponsor for the show like you almost have no time to think about this because it's just bang 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 one week after another and it feels like the tour is kind of in that position but with a little bit of time here and a little bit of a sense of a, some breathing room in the fall I'd be hopeful that we are able to get some information. I would ultimately like to see if they're going to make the merger happen. I think that there should be an avenue for the players to come back and compete in certain events. And you and I talked about live. I think the very first live event you had me on your show and yeah. we talked about it and we were both like, I don't really like it. I'm interested to see kind of where it goes on. I'm not a fan of fracturing the professional game of golf, but, We'll see what happens. You know, here we are almost two years later, and I think things have gone from their perspective fairly successfully. They haven't reached an audience that I think they would. 
but they've had players win major championships. They've been able to create this merger. They've been able to create the disruption that they were always sort of seeking to get in a sense. And I just wonder how many of those guys it would be appealing to come back to the PGA tour and how many of them would really, if that door was sort of cracked open, how many of them would be open to walking through it? Well, I tell you what, uh, probably very few, but the, but the so challenge, may, yeah, the, I mean, I think you're spot on there, but the challenge may become if their tour goes away. And um, ultimately when this first on June 6th, when, when it was all announced, um, just being around, it seemed to me that like, okay, well, okay, what are they going to do? They're going to, the PJ Tour is going to remain the same. The DP World Tour is going to remain the same. And maybe we'll ultimately get this super elite world tour, right? That'll have maybe like four or five events. There'll be four majors. And then, you know, they'll play like maybe like a Bay Hill and a, and a Genesis and something like that. And that'll be like the 15 to 18 tournament season, for the big wigs, right? And um, I still ultimately think it's going that way. You know, one of the things that made me really happy was that when they appointed Jason Gore. So when Gore stopped playing full time, he um, he went to the USGA and he helped yeah. that transition of the of the U.S. Open to make it more of a players tournament, right? Yeah. And that trickled down through the USAM. We saw that this weekend. I mean, we've seen it more and more. Uh, you know, back in March, maybe it's February or March, Jason transitioned to the tour. And now he, you know, he sat next to Jay. And, and Jay has fallen under a ton of criticism. And, and a majority of that is warranted because of lack of communication. And, you know, a little bit of, you know, well, we're the best tour in the world. So, you know, I don't really have to pay attention to you, Joe. Or I don't have to pay attention to you, Keith, right? Like, we're great. And I, I think in all of this, as the evolution takes place, I love seeing that Gore has now like he's got a super important job as basically the go between between the pack and the commissioner's office and what will be this this new super board, right? With Jimmy Dunn and everybody else and Hurley, you know, like so. Um, I, I think that we're going to get um, what the fans want and what the players want ultimately as we transition. I mean, there's a lot of things like all year where. They'll say things in the media center where they're like, well, we tried it this way this year. And in 24, we're going to try it another way. And then by 25, we'll know. Well, I know that's not going to make you happy. And it's, it's probably going to fill up the comments or, the, or the, the Twitter feed. But, I mean, that's the way they think. This is a cruise ship and it takes four miles to turn. And, um, yes, live happens quickly. But live really doesn't know what they're doing, right, At the, ultimately. I mean, we just outlined it with something simple like if you want to position your players for the Ryder Cup, Give them a chance, right? Give them a tournament right now, right? And, you know, ultimately they they didn't really think of that in a macro sense. So, I, man, I wish I had better answers for you. I could just tell you that the players are way more engaged. They were super engaged with the 70-50-30, Joe. I mean, that was like – I know everybody was making fun of um, Tom Alter, who's the guy that was going to Terrell Hatton there. So, yeah. Tom, is the, he's the FedEx points guy, right? So, he <laughs> – He's that guy, right? He's the FedEx points guru and he's going to all those guys and, and he's, they're creating that social media, which is great. But like, that's a tough job. Hey, Joe, um, you're probably not going to make it. I know it's been like a year, but you're probably not going to, you know, like, so um, it, it's, it's one of those things where I think that the, uh, they, they got a sense of urgency out of the players and now they're stepping up. And I think over the course of the next 12 months, if you and I sat here and we did an anniversary of this pod, um, 
we're going to see a, a much more clearer light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, that's well said. I wanted to ask you, let's let's sort of transition into what you just mentioned because the clips have come out. I've seen them kind of go both ways. The one with Terrell was kind of awkward, right? It almost felt like he didn't care and it sort of opened them up to sort of those criticisms because they were already hearing it from a number of fans. Um, I do not like this format, Keith. Do the players, you're as close to the players, you're with them, you're in the ropes every single week. Is there a frustration level for them or do they feel like this is a fair way to culminate an entire season's worth of play. No, but that being said, they the guys at the top realized giving Scotty or Rory two extra shots was a big deal. So they were fighting more so than they ever would have fought before 2019. And it took a year or two for them to figure that out. But, hmm. you know, those middle tier guys that had to fight for the top 50 to get to the $20 million purses, that was a huge cutoff. Right. Yeah. But the top 30, you know, that was a huge cutoff for the, the four majors and also, you know, the two year exemption. The guys that were in that top 10 really want those strokes because yeah. ultimately, you know what, over the last decade at, at Eastlake, the average winning score is like 12 under par. So if you're more than five back of the best in the world, you have no shot and you're just playing for the gross championship, you know, at the club. So, you know, it's like I. They created a sense of urgency and everything, but they're just accommodating what the rules are and figuring out the best way to win. They, they're not saying that they like it. Yeah. Is there a solution? Like, do you do the player? Have you heard a player give you like a good solution where you're like, yeah, you know what? That sounds like a fair way to solve it. Because what, what gets me the most is I don't know any other golf tournaments like it. I think what they're concerned about, and they they don't want to end up with Emiliano if a match play situation and Corey Connors versus Emiliano Grillo. But that's the reality of playoffs in every other sport, right? You can have an undefeated season. You can be perfect. You can beat everyone by 21 points on Sundays. But you got to go to the playoffs and you got to you know win a game in the snow. You've got to prove it. And if you lose to Taylor Moore in the snow, you lose to Taylor Moore. Like it, that's what irks me about it is Scotty Scheffler, we just showed it, obviously has a built-in advantage based on his talent and his skill level. Does he need to be 10 strokes ahead of Tyrrell Hatton and Jordan Spieth? I don't I don't like that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I mean Tyrrell Hatton would give you some choice words on that to begin with. But yeah. Um so so I mean I'll play the game with you for a minute, right? Okay. So everyone talks about match play. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think what they fail to understand, and, and I'll go back to like all my years of running tournaments as a PGA professional, is that you can't run the whole season one way and then just go to match play to decide the winner, right? Okay. Um, when you play football, even though it's single elimination in the NFL, they still play the same game. Fair. So my idea would be bring the top 30 guys or whatever number you want it to be, let them play 36 holes on Thursday and Friday. Give me the top 16 guys. All right. They'll go, they'll, they can play four matches. So that's 36 over the weekend. Great. You know, we get to see tons of golf and that's, that, then that's it. Then they're done. Right. Then they can have the whole fall off as far as I'm concerned. Yep. But instead of match play, let them do 18 hole stroke play matches like the old Shell's Wonderful World of Golf. Right. Yeah. So you're still playing the same format. And if you make a triple, like Max did on Saturday, and you're playing Rory, well, you're done. But you're not done for one hole. Those guys hate match play. It's way too fickle, right? And there's way too much money. I mean, there's $75 million on the line this week. Last place gets a half a million dollars, you know? 
And that and that's not even close to like Steph Curry makes like a hundred million every three pointers. So like the the point is is that like if we keep the format the same, the cream's always going to rise to the top. If you did that format I just mentioned or some iteration of that, I guarantee you on Sunday, Scotty and Rory would probably still be there. Yeah. Right now, will they make it? Both make it to the finals? Probably not. But like, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, it's good theater. You know, and yeah. the, but the staggered scoring thing, just to make it easier for the fans to understand, in my mind, is just making it worse. Yeah, it's like to what fans, right? It's like to to who are you appealing to? What fans exactly? And you know what? I wanted to ask you about this in speaking with how players like your access to them and how they feel about certain things. You're in a in an interesting spot, right? Where I think that you're very highly respected by people in media because they know your background as a PGA professional. They know what you do with Read the Line. They know your commitment to going to every tournament. But they also know that you cover betting. This is a betting show. Max Homa made some comments about a fan and basically who had talked in his backstroke over like a $3 bet with his buddy. But he did say something along the lines of, this is the concern of myself and some of the players as we continue to integrate gambling into the sport is the effect and the flowing downstream that that could have on the actual play and idiots being idiots. And I tended to disagree with him in this. This was just a one-off scenario and the amount of eyeballs that they're attracting because they offer gambling is so much more, but there are different levels of fan bases. There are, you know, the older generation who want to flip on CBS on Sunday and just watch and won't even, they won't even know when they flip it on Sunday, they won't even know Scotty started 10 under, right? They're not even going to understand it. Then yeah. there's, you have the gamblers who are going out there and watching it. Then you have just sort of the diehard fans of the game of professional golf. Do you think it's a legitimate concern from the players in integrating this? Or was that just a sort of a, a, a unique situation that Max dealt with? If you heard anything like that from anybody else? No, in fact, if anything, um, most of the guys and the women, even even the women will comment on it when I go out to the LPGA tour, that they love the idea that people are more engaged. There's always going to be jokers. Right. And uh, I'll keep it brand safe, you know, without swearing or anything. But like, you know, at the end of the day, um, what Max is referring to is more of an outlier type of um, mentality as far as like the fans are going to yell and try to, you know, those guys. When they, when they talk about they were making a $3 bet, uh, in my mind, they were making it like you and I sitting in the stands head-to-head for like closest to the pin rather yeah. than they went on DraftKings or FanDuel and then they made the bet. You know, exactly. they were just, you know, jokers being jokers. And at the end of the day, you know, I said this like a year ago, I was getting grilled on SiriusXM by some of the hosts there that are that were very traditional. And they said, well, you know, Keith, with, with betting and everything, people are going to start yelling. And I said, people yell already. You know, but not, but like the fact of the matter is, you, you remember last year in the President's Cup, it was the final, it was the match with Hideki. It hit the, hit the uh, Marshall and it kicked back into the woods. I mean, yeah. stuff happens in golf, but at least we all feel like that's rub of the green. Okay. I don't know a person that walked away from the Super Bowl thinking that thing was on the level. Now, yeah. I'm sure it was, but at least in golf, we don't have referees, we right. don't have a third party like judging what's going to happen, right? So at least from a betting sense, okay, you know, somebody would say well, like, oh, well, this guy could throw his round. Yeah, he could do that. But we, with the digital coverage we have on, on what you and I do, right, there would be red flags all over that in a heartbeat, all right? So at the end of the day, golf is still the best sport to bet 
because I'm not worried about the Foot Locker guy, right? Yeah. I'm worried about two guys going head to head. And then when people bring up stupid shit, like when they say like, oh, you know, like that guy's not going to try because he's only getting a certain amount of strokes or this what I'm telling you, you want a sentiment coming from the tour? Those guys want to win. Yeah. Okay. Tommy Fleetwood wants to win. Tommy Fleetwood knows what we all are saying. Okay. <laughs> Terrell Hatton wants to win. Is he a jerk about it? Yeah. But that's just his way of getting himself amped up. Those guys, they were Denny McCarthy wants to win Joe. Okay. When I left um, Olympia fields on Wednesday night, you're talking about the number one putter on the PGA tour. Okay. He was there grinding last guy on the putting green and it was dark. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that guy, he had, he didn't have to be there. He was top 50. He gets every designated event. Right. Those guys, if you want a true sentiment coming from those guys, they want to be known as winners. They've been winners their whole life. They've gotten to the cream of the crop and they still want to win. And at the end of the day, I, I think that's what makes what we do so engaging because those guys are killing themselves to get across the finish line. So when we do have a Victor 61, you know, like read the line did yesterday, I'm like, like, and everyone starts texting me and DMing me and everything. They're like, this was so much fun. I'm like, well, imagine what Victor feels like. Yeah. You know, I mean, we just get like 1% of his joy. And, you know, yeah. you can see it on his face when, when Scotty missed that, you know, that second shot on 18 and he knew he won that big grin, you know, like, I mean, that's infectious. And to me, that's just a different level of connection to the game that you bring every Monday and something that I love. And uh, it gets me excited. Yeah, it's not. I don't think for for most, I you know, of course, there are people that take it very seriously. I do. I gamble as a hobby, right? Um, it's not so much about the money. It's about the victory. And the same rings true with the players. It's not about the money for Victor Hovland. It's not about $20 million at store this week. It's about the thrill of competition. It's about victory. And it's about that within a historical context. Because you want to look at the money made per round this year. Taylor Gooch has made over a half million dollars per 18 holes of golf he's played this year. Unbelievable. He is making more than twice as much as Scotty Scheffler per round of golf this year. And it doesn't really matter. There's no historical context. There's no real, um, there is competition, but it's not the same, right? Um, it's not apples to apples. It's absolutely not. So um, that's where the difference is. That's where the difference lies. Let's kind of go and, and talk about this week. I want to bring this up, Keith. And these are where players are starting strokes-wise. Um, hopefully it comes up here in a second. Let me see. There we go. Okay. So Scotty's 10 under. Victor actually was able to move into that second place starting at 8 under. Then you have Rory at 7, Rom at 6, Glover at 5. You have a group there uh, in, basically in groups of 5s. Starting after that, a group of six there at four under, however, um, this is where players start. Now, when assessing this from sort of trying to pick a winner perspective, how deep can you go? Because last year I went at four under and it was Rory McIlroy and he triple bogeyed the first hole, Keith, and he went to one under. So he was nine back of Scotty and was able to climb all the way back. So it gave me some hope. That was an informed Rory. That was a little bit of a different situation. How far back do you feel good about going on a board like this? Uh, I mean, I I honestly I can't I can't go much further back than that four under group. And, Same. Even and Xander really, at three, no like no thought of it. 
just because it would be Xander. I'd have to look at the names. Yeah. You know, like it's just there's I mean that it's a tough golf course, Joe. You know yeah. this, right? Like last year, like like what Rory did last year was amazing because as much as I'm out there, I see a guy reload like less than I can count on one hand. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, guys never hit the ball out of play. And what Rory did, whatever, he did what he did. But like, I mean, for him, he, you know, he shot 17 under. The average is 12 over, you know, since God knows they, they played there 22 times and they've done it every year since 2004. Right. So there's yeah. a couple before that. But like it's basically 11 or 10, to 12 under wins the thing. And it's it's going to be a thousand degrees. It's going to be super humid. It's going to wear these guys out they, the, for TV. They're going to make them play in the heat of the day every day. There's there's no wind this week. It's like today it was like literally walking into convection into a, like an oven like a pizza oven. I mean, it was, you know, when I got off the plane, I was like, Oh, I was like, we're going to get a week of this. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. You know, like it's, it's, I mean, it's going to make Lucas Glover's pants, you know, look like they're from Viore or something. I mean, it's, they're going to make them look good. It's going to be so hot this week and there's no rain in sight. There's no break in the afternoon from storms or anything. I I think it's gotta be, it's tough, man. Like, so you, it's not just the guys four six back. You got to assume that the guys at eight and and seven and ten don't shoot. I mean, if Scotty just shoots five under, no matter how bad he putts, if he shoots five under, you're now you're you're eleven back at four under. Yeah, that's the historical average for winning. Mm-hmm. So I I think that if you're gonna play the strokes the staggered start side, I think that you. Well, I mean, we would get more into strategy here, but I, I mean, for me, I would, I, I would wait and read the line. Yeah. I would just be like, we're playing gross. I would wait. I would look for the weekend and then I would look for an opportunity to jump on it because the idea that I'm going to play Scotty at plus 160 now, and I'm sure I could get him something near that on Saturday. Like I'll take it with 36 holes to go rather than with 72 for sure. You know? Yeah. It'll be interesting because. Like one thing on the course that I noticed is historically it has been in like the top 10 in terms of most difficult courses on tour. But last year it was not last year it played easy because last year it was wet and it was soft. Um, It's interesting how much the environmental and weather conditions can affect scoring and can affect the golf course. And last week was a perfect example. Um, All the weather in the forecast, how wet it played. I think the scoring over under on DraftKings for the week was seven under par was where they set the line. And and I was a big proponent of going like they're going to be play, playing way better than that. I don't care how difficult the course is. If it's wet, if it's soft, if there's a brand new course superintendent, he's less likely to sort of push the lines on sort of flirting with extremely difficult conditions. And that all kind of played true. What have you gotten from a sense of of East? Like, how do you feel like the weather is going to impact things this week in terms of how difficult the course is going to play? Well, the, the folks I've talked to down here in Atlanta, it has, they've gotten about a little under two inches of rain in the month of August. And we're about, what, three, three and a half weeks in. So um, it's not going to play like last year and it's not going to continue to get wet like it got last year. Like it poured two of the days I was here last year. Um, it's not supposed to rain at all this week. Maybe traces on like Friday night into Saturday morning. But it's okay. so, it, I think the golf course is going to be in very nice condition. Um, a lot of things get lost in TV. Uh, there's a lot of elevation changes here. Uh, everything kind of, and the, the golf course is, it's very unique. It almost runs entirely 
uh, 14 of the 18 holes run east-west, which is very which is very interesting for a golf course. Almost always they, they're running in different – the holes are always running in different directions. It's like – and we're looking at a northwest wind, so we're not going to get much of a crosswind. You know, they're going to play into the, into the wind for some and, and then downwind for the others. The golf course is going to be relatively dry and in great condition. I, I think we're going to see it. I'm going to see we're going to see that ten to twelve number on the growth side, for sure. Yeah. Um. You know what? Let's pull up the odds. Give me just a second here. I'm going to pull up the odds. We're going to go through. We'll make some. Let's do this at the top of the odds board this week. You've got Scotty Scheffler who starts at ten hundred. Now this is. Factoring in the starting strokes, of course. Um, he is plus 150 is the best number available over at Bet365. Rory McIlroy, I mentioned, is starting seven under is plus 350. Victor Hovland starting in that number two spot is five to one. John Rahm, eight and a half to one. Patrick Cantlay, 18. Then you start to get to Xander, who I mentioned starts at minus three, which was kind of interesting to me that they're hanging a 30 to one number on him. Homa's there at 35. You've got Glover at 45. Matthew Fitzpatrick at 55. Um, anyone in here, Keith, that is worth a play for you earlier in the week or or just someone that you have some some strong thoughts on? Oh, boy. As a play, well, I, I feel very strongly that Victor Hovland's on a heater. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be Captain Obvious from the Old Spice commercials or whatever, but I'm just telling you, like, um, what I saw this week um, – you know, I did a couple things that like really, really bug me when I when I push out content and I make predictions. And one of the things is that um, when I grabbed Wyndham earlier in the year at Quail, I had him in Mexico the week before and he didn't show up and yeah. I kept him the next week. And I do that a lot. I keep people for two weeks, three weeks in a row if I feel like it's warranted. And I and I had Lucas at 3M and I didn't have him the next week at Wyndham. And I was mm-hmm. like ready to lose my mind. And then it got worse because I had Lilia Vu in Scotland for the LPGA. And then the next week she won the AIG women's open by six. And I was like, I'm not doing that again. I was like, I'm going to be stubborn. And I looked at my card from Memphis and I was like the one guy after his opening round, he met with Joe Mayo. He got things straightened out. This guy wants to go. This guy felt what he, you know, he felt next level at Memorial. And I think you see a lot of this in the playoffs Guys get on these runs and they they win multiple times in the playoffs or they contend multiple times because of the, the sense of urgency that's created in order to win that 18 million or whatever it was in those other years, 5 million, 10 million, whatever. So of all the guys at the top, Victor, to me, gives me the most pause if I was going to play on that side. Yeah, I agree with you there in a sense on Hovland. The one guy for me and actually the only wager that I made and apparently Brent here is in agreement with me in the chat, is actually Lucas Glover. Um, he's 45 to 1. He starts in that number 5 spot. All the players above him are much better players than Lucas Glover. That's the issue. The problem is, is not in the last 24 rounds. He has absolutely turned it around. He's gaining over 2.5 strokes per round over his last 24. It's been fantastic. I thought that he was relatively solid last week with a 22nd place finish. He has not been to the tour championship since 2019 and played here. Albeit, I think that um, Georgia golf back on Bermuda, 
kind of suits him, right? He won in Memphis on Bermuda. He won at the Wyndham. It's Edgefield and sort of a Donald Ross course. The par 70, a lot of things can sort of transfer over there as well. We're looking at around 7,300 yards once again. The approach play is just really what what does it for me. Um, That's what I'm leaning on mostly this week. I think almost 40% of the strokes gained last year came via approach, uh, which is well higher than the tour average. He's the best player in the field over the last 24 rounds. He's almost a stroke and a half per round. That's better than Rory. That's better than Scotty. That's better than Victor. Um, I'm okay at 45 to one, knowing that he has four guys to chase down and really a guy that is absolutely freewheeling with nothing to lose. Um, it's a big price. It's a high ask for him. But I think that if you're dealing with a tournament where I would say you've got about a pool of maybe nine nine max guys who I think can actually come through and win this. I think that he's one of them in a 45 to one. I think it's a pretty fair price. I mean, nine's a lot, you know, it's probably more like yeah. six or five or six or seven. So well, uh, I've got those top five. I think that I, I would put can't lay in there. Um, sure. I would, I would give Xander a little bit of a chance. I'm not going to completely rule out Brian Harmon either. Um, and then Max Home has been playing a little bit better. So those were the sort of nine that I had that I would say if they're if I'm going to break a pie up and they play this thing 100 times, they maybe be able to find a win in there one or two times. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you know, Max looked good last week. Yeah. Uh, you know, a bunch of people ask me when they see me show up at the media center, Keith, who you got? And they don't want to hear like our usual kind of process and everything though is like it's basically like a single bullet conversation yeah you i kept telling everybody last week max homa i just loved max homa last week and then you know he was in a good spot he got derailed on saturday that seemed to do something to his confidence um yeah. he was like his 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 kind of mannerisms changed and everything on saturday you could yeah, just yeah. Be there. you could like you could just see it like what you see on tv is if you know what you're looking for is the same like I, I just kind of sense it a little bit more because I'm standing next to the guy, but like um, you can see like the expression in their face, but uh, um, it would not surprise. I mean, this is a ball strikers golf course, flat out. Right. East Lake is a, it's a par 70. Um, you, you don't get a bunch of holes off. You know, it's just brutal par fours, elevation changes, excellent bunkering, um, you know, just Tons of tons of Bermuda rough, which is the worst, the absolute worst. It's the worst grass to putt on. It's all grainy. I mean, you know, you're in Florida. It's the worst. Yeah, I know. It's a weed. You know, it grows sideways. Yeah. It's awful. You know, and they're coming from like a velvet carpet. So um, Max is Max is dangerous for sure. It's really hard, and what I think frustrates players with Bermuda rough, just from my personal experience, is there's such an uncertainty about it. Like I played this weekend and you don't even have to have a lot of rough. I, my course two inches of rough maybe. And it's like a lot of Bermuda. You have no idea whether it's just going to completely jump and fly or it's going to come out dead. And it's very hard to make that decision on a shot when you know that there's like a 40 yard range of where you think this pitching wedge can go. Um, so I can imagine that it's extremely frustrating for players. It's difficult to control the spin. You mentioned late summer, the grain really starts to creep in. Now, I would imagine these things are cut so bare thin and they're going to be rolling at like a 12 and a half that the grain isn't quite as crazy as a course like mine that they're running at a 10 and a half, where it's literally shifting putts because the grass is a little longer. 
but in at any rate um it's going to be difficult late summer they're going to have to deal deal with that heat as well i want to bring in the other market here um and this is the one i feel like people are more likely to play so this is the without starting strokes market um rory mcelroy is the favorite at five to one i don't know why it's not coming up here scotty scheffler is six to one Hovland's nine to one, Rom nine to one, Cantlay ten to one, Xander twelve to one, Homa sixteen, Morikawa twenty-two. Um, have you made any plays sort of in this range, Keith, so far? I have not in the lower range. Okay. What not. do you got up higher? Um, there's a Georgia Bulldog that I like this week. Uh, he's played there twice before. He hasn't played there in a while, but he's Harman? got a nope, nope. Does begin with H. Is it Sep? No, it begins with H. There's a lot of Bulldogs. It begins with H. Uh... Yeah, he's Georgia Mafia for sure. And he's he is one of the guys that Harris. is Russell Henley. Oh, Henley? Henley. Talk to me about him. So he's gaining over six strokes total against the field in his last five starts. Look at his last couple of starts. And these are against elite fields. I know the Wyndham not as much, but – and you're going to say he didn't close. I'm going to get to that point in a moment, okay? But he played well at Memphis. He just shot 63 on Sunday, right? He played well at the BMW. The guy's a ball striker, okay? He can play on Bermuda grass. And I tell you, I show up in the airport down here. If you don't know where you are, you are blind, okay? And even the blind people know that there's, there's Georgia sweatshirts everywhere. There's Georgia Bulldogs. I mean, this is this is it. This is Mecca for the Georgia Mafia. All right. Now, here's why in a tournament like this, Henley doesn't know where he stands. He's just going to go out and keep shooting 65 every day because the scoreboard is going to show you Scotty's winning by eight. He's not even going to know he's going to win the Dolph tournament, so he can't throw it on Sunday. He can't get nervous. He's just going to keep making birdies, and then he wins. That's my theory on it. Yeah, no, it's very interesting. I was actually against sort of Russ last week, and that burns me. I saw Andy bringing up a point that he maybe has some consideration for the final Ryder Cup spot. Do you buy into that whatsoever? No. Yeah, no. me neither. Who's got your last spot? Is it Justin Thomas? Um, I got JT as a lock. Okay, so you got JT as a lock, Morikawa yep. as a lock, correct? Yep. Young, lock? No. No, okay. Fowler, lock? Yes. Speed lock. Yeah, of course. Yes. Okay. So my last two are my last two I have are Young and Fowler. Who who would you have out of there? No, I, the last two I need, uh, I got Brooks. And I yeah, got Brooks. Keegan. Sorry, Brooks, Brooks. Sorry. Yeah. So Brooks gets you to five. Yeah. And then that last spot is basically Keegan or Young, right? Yeah. And Young doesn't Maybe have another Burns. Week. Burns has another week. Keegan has another week. It's between the three of them, really, in my mind. And um, it's just everybody stop with the Lucas Glover, okay? Um, the media is building up the Brooks thing. There's never been a year that the seventh guy on points hasn't made it. Let's just stop. Everyone just, like, just stop, okay? And everybody else with the JT thing, just stop. JT's going, right? Do I agree with it? No. But you know what? I mean, Zach Johnson is like Why Davis. Why disagree with it? What's that? Why would you disagree with Justin Thomas going? Do you think it should be more so performance-based than based on like a history and a gut and a match play thing? Yes. Okay. Yes. 
but his but his record is extremely strong. And, and I'm throwing out the President's Cup. He's one and one in the Ryder Cup, but he's strong. And somebody's going to say, well, oh, Keith, because he played with Jordan. Well, you know, Jordan hasn't won a singles match in Ryder Cup, in, in all of his Ryder Cups. So, like, you know, there's something going on there where the two of them get together. It's a positive thing. I can't really argue against that. And if we're going to get into, like, you know, kind of in the mystic aspects of this and we can't talk about recent form and all these other things, well, then you know what? Uh, I, I got to give it to you that I, I get it why JT goes. People want him there, and yeah. he wants to be there. Now, I'm not saying that Denny or Cam Young doesn't want to be there, but those guys haven't even won tour events. Yeah, they don't understand. No, no. I think what I was talking about last week is, um, and I've I obviously I've never been to a Ryder Cup, so I'm just speaking anecdotally here from watching it on television. But it's a different environment. There's a different level of intensity. There's a different level of adrenaline that is coursing through players. And there are certain guys who are not prepared for that. There are certain guys who maybe that um, is a deficiency in terms of their baseline performance. It doesn't work positively for them having that additional pressure, that adrenaline. Some players with golf, it's weird. It's like shooting a free throw, right? It's it's an it's You can do it in a gym. You can do it in front of 100,000 people. But when pressure happens, it can become extremely more difficult, and that affects players negatively. For some reason, Justin Thomas, I feel like it brings the absolute best out of him. He understands emotions. He understands how to play with that fire and how to elevate his game in certain situations. And that's why he's on the team for me. It's like a, you know, it's 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 a European mold where they would just take Sergio and they would take Poulter and they would take guys who maybe hadn't had the greatest season, but they just understand the task at hand of a Ryder Cup and especially going on to foreign soil. Um, that was my main reasoning why I think he should be on the team. Uh, everything you said is right. And, yeah. you know, people need to get over themselves. He's going to be there. So just pick, you know, argue over Young and Keegan or Burns or something because they're going to be there. You know, yeah. it's, uh, um, you know, Burns is what, 12 and Ricky's 13, I think. Right. Ricky's yeah. going to be there. You know, you know, I'm sorry, but I, I can't see how he's not. You know, um, and the reason I, I the reason I like Keegan over Burns and Young is that I mean, Keegan's been to a Ryder Cup. Keegan's won twice on season, uh, twice this season. You know, we had nine multiple winners this year on the PGA Tour, which is like the most we've had in a long time. And, mm -hmm. you know, you know, you start naming them. Right. And you're talking about guys like like Rory and obviously Victor and Rom and Scotty and everything. And Keegan's on that list. Max Homa's yeah. on that list. You know what I mean? So like. Man, Keegan won in the fall at the Zozo, and then he then he he had a great Travelers, and that's a designated event. So, like, man, I mean, most people that that are in the gambling DFS space or whatever, they forget 2012 at Medina. Like, Keegan and Phil boat raced people. I mean, they were done with like five holes to go. And you know, at the end of the day, I, I think that Keegan is one of those guys that can channel that for sure, and the ball striking's there. So. Does yeah. the interesting thing with with Justin Thomas for me would be does he play a lot? Like, do they continue to even though he's probably the least deserving guy to be on the team and everyone in that room will know it, although I think they all want him there. Is it still a situation where you're throwing him out there with Jordan Spieth every round? Or does Spieth take on Fowler? And where does he how does it shake up the matchups? How does 
Zach Johnson intend to play this? Does he keep Xander and Cantlay together? What does he do with Brooks? Who does he put Brooks with? Does he put Brooks with Scott? Like, there are so many questions. Do you have any sense in how you think he is going to be as a captain? Is he going to stick with sort of the traditional pairings, or do you think he's going to be very analytical, potentially shake things up? No, there's there's two teams that are set, and we know who they are. Yeah. It's JP and Jordan, and it's uh, Patrick and Xander. They're going to play together, and they're going to play together often. Um, I don't, I don't anticipate being on foreign soil, us taking time off for rest when you know that Xander and Patrick could go out and just destroy people, right? Mm -hmm. You know, just rip their hearts out like Indiana Jones, you know, that sort of thing. I see Ricky, honestly, from what I'm, from what I'm hearing, I see Ricky as a great pair for, uh, for Scotty because the putter, you know, um, yeah. There, everyone wants Scotty and foursomes and they want to put him with a really good putter. Um, I hear a lot of, I hear a lot of California boy talk. So Max and Colin, I know they weren't great at the Zurich together, but they like playing together with one another. And I hear a lot of Wyndham Harmon talk, right? So, so that would leave Brooks with who? Cam Young? Brooks and Cam Young? Or, or Keegan. Okay. Or, um, you know, you mix it up and you could do Brooks with Scotty. You know, you could do uh, a Brooks with Max Homa yeah. type, of, type of scenario. Uh, does Brooks take on the DJ role with Colin? You know, the um, you know everyone thinks that the PGA of America, which I'm a member of, they think that, like, these guys just do this on a whim, right? They, they, they hire um, a, a company, right, that does all the analytic work. You know, the European team, they hire Justin Ray's company, 21st Group, right? Mm-hmm. Um PGA of America uses a different uh, analytic group. And they, they have been studying these players and the matchups and the golf course for over a year. So th- there is nothing arbitrary about what goes on here other than the fact that Xander's going to play with Patrick, right? Because it's proven before that it's worked. But otherwise, um, they will know to the nth degree that we think we know, you and I know, going into any given week that we're like, I think this guy's going to win this week. They know, and they put it. They put they put so much homework into this that's been going on forever, and um, they will they will be as prepared as they can be. I mean, thirty years. How known and how much is shared between the two teams on course setup? To your knowledge, do they basically have free reign? Is there an unspoken agreement that is six months in advance? Like, look, this is how high we're going to keep the rough. We're not going to make the fairways ten yards wide, or is it? just totally like you know the thing is i talked to sort of rick about this is like yeah they could make the rough insane and make 10 yard wide fairways but then they got to come back here in two years and they're going to play an 8800 yard golf course you know so we're going to do it right back to them but how far do you think you can push the limits in terms of setting a course up in your favor without going too far uh i mean they went pretty far in france they went as far yeah. as they could, and it worked very well in their favor. So and I, we I, went pretty far at Whistling Straits, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. did it right back. Yeah, um, I mean the way that they're setting up Bethpage. So here's an insight for you: when they do the Ryder Cup at Bethpage, uh, they're going to start on the second hole, right? So they're not going to use the first hole. They're going to start on the second hole. They're going to build like a ten thousand seat arena around the second tee, and there's a road there so they can bring the players in from the range, right? And then they can boom. But that's that's a tough hole to start out on, right? And then yeah. you know later on they're hoping everything ends around the, what is now the seventeenth hole, which is that like they're going to build like a I don't know 
another 10,000 seat arena around that par three seventeenth. So that way, like those guys come into there, into that cauldron with three holes to play, and they're like, "Oh man, look at this!" Right? So yes, yeah. they're you need to do everything in your power to make it work for you. Right? This is why Kevin Kisner wasn't going to Whistling Straits because it was going to be eight thousand yards. Yeah, you know, or Kevin Nah, they they, they wanted Scotty before Scotty was Scotty because he was long and. It, it's going to be that way again, you know. Um, it, it, that's another reason why at Marco Simone, you know, it's somebody like Keegan Bradley. It puts it in the fairway all the time. Is an excellent ball striker. Um, really matters, you know. Um, versus just Cam Young being in, being a, an uber great driver of the golf ball, right? Yep. Scoring is going to count. So yes, to answer your question, a hundred percent, and we won't know the part B to your question, we won't really know until we're over there to figure it all out. But those guys are going, they're going the week after um, the tour guys are going the week after um, Labor Day. So they're okay. doing a, they're doing a wow. practice round trip to Marco Simone. So um, Scheffler and the boys were talking about it. So yes. Good insight. Um, really Keith, just having a conversation with you always goes so easily. We're at almost an hour. The time really got away from me. I apologize for keeping you on the road for as long as I did. Um, let's wrap things up. Tell everyone where they can find, read the line, how they subscribe for the newsletter, and, and what other additional content you may be coming out with this week. Well, hey, if you love Joe and Tour Picks, right, check out Read the Line. Go to readtheline.com. Um, you know, I write for Sports Illustrated and Sporting News, the PGA Tour trying to teach them a few things about what's actually relevant in our world, Joe, you know, the LPGA, but it's all, it's all brought there at readtheline.com. You can see all the different things that I put out there. And of course there's a newsletter. If you're into the LPGA and PGA tour for betting, those are the two tours that I cover and I'm on site. I love in play betting and uh, you know, God willing, I'll continue to be a PGA professional for, for years to come and friends with you. You know, so it's, 10 uh, winners on the season, man. Congrats on that. I was not able to hit that mark. I got it last year, but that is a big accomplishment. So yeah. make sure you are following this man. Thanks, Joe. And uh, um, I, I, I know uh, I'm going to go, but I'm going to listen to your uh, um, your genuine moment of the week. So I hope I uh, give me something good. Yeah, thanks, man. I will talk to you soon. Appreciate it, Keith. All right, guys. Um, thank you for hanging with me. Um, it was great to have Keith on and talk through him as always. He is hit a ton of winners this season on the PGA Tour. He won our season-long fantasy league with some of the sharpest mind in the industry. Um, make sure to check that out. He's on site every, each and every week. Um, thank you guys for hanging with me. So uh, to be honest with you, I, I really don't have um, anything to deep this week to say I, i'm feeling better i'm feeling like this off season will present some good things i'm hoping for additional opportunities to take place the amount of people that reached out and supported me have been fantastic um, i wanted to mention tambo obviously last week had some great words of encouragement that i think you should go back and listen to um, i appreciate you know all the people, Wesley, like, thank you for, for hopping in here and Brent and um, just like everyone who, who supports the show. It, it generally means a ton to me. Um, I'm feeling like I'm in this weird spot of life where I don't know, man, it kind of feels like like judgment time. Like, do I need to make this move into doing something that I'm full time passionate about or do I need to 
rest on the laurels of what I've built in, an, in another career and just feeling like I'm trapped in this spot of a little bit of shame in a sense of like not really being successful and having an end goal that is completely within reach. And I think Tambo talked a lot about stop analyzing the end result and just trusting in the progress. Something he mentioned to me multiple times last week, and I really took home. Uh, my friend Model Maniac was also on the event last week and gave me a great book that I would uh, highly advise that anyone listen to. I got the audio book called The Energy Bus. Um, all things to sort of appreciate where you're at in life. Take some time to appreciate some of the progress and just continue to plug away at results and stop trying to be such a macro view of things in terms of what is successful and what is failure. Appreciate your family. Appreciate your friends. I was lucky enough to have a great one on tonight with me, and I'm happy to enjoy this show and be able to present it to you each and every week. If you are here now, make sure to subscribe to the channels. We will continue to have off-season content. I will continue to revamp and pour my heart and soul and everything I have to make this show one of the best that there is in terms of the gambling space. And we are going to take this thing to the moon next season. You have my word. There is no give up insight. We will continue to power through and press on and do what I love each and every Monday night. Thank you once again, Joe Idoni at Tour Picks. This has been Preferred Lines. Have a great week. Enjoy the offseason. I hope that you can end this season with another winner at the Tour Championship. I'll catch you guys next time. Peace out.